Welcome back to Restless. I'm Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, coming to you right out of Stanford, Connecticut, along with Joe Prada and nobody else. That's it. That's okay. We made a good team last week, so I'm excited for uh, for our second part episode of conversion stories. And last week we heard all about Joe's uh, conversion story. He kind of just talked about, you know, what is the process of conversion uh, in general? You know, and I, I was thinking. Um, I don't know if you've have you ever read. Um, do you know who Sherry Waddell is? No. She's a very very famous Catholic author. She's a convert herself, and she talks about five different stages leading up to conversion, which I think is a really interesting um, insight. It's called "Forming Intentional Disciples," her fam- famous book. And she says, like, the first stage is trust. You have to trust somebody in the church. You have a good experience at a youth group, or um, you know, you trust a priest or whatever. You know, and that's or just a fellow Christian. And so, yeah, that first stage, trust. Second stage is curiosity. So once you trust somebody, then you may ask, like, okay, why do you only eat fish on Fridays? Why do you wear a scapular? And like all these questions that may bubble up. But then the third stage is openness, openness of, of thinking to yourself, well, okay, this person's living that way. I wonder if that applies to me, where it starts to get a little bit more personal and you kind of start to question. The fourth stage she calls intentional seeking, where people are like, all right, I've got to, I've got to really like dating with a purpose, like Jesus, you know, like I, I got to figure out whether or not I want to give my life to him and, and orient my life to him. And then, and then the, finally, the last stage is that discipleship, that conversion choice of saying, you know, Christ is, yeah, Christ is worth it. And I think probably most people, many people go through those stages of conversion. I don't know if when you look back over your story, you probably see a few of those, mm-hmm. those steps. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting too, like, I mean, we were, we were talking of a break about the different conversion stories of people that we knew. Like you said, you just finished reading Scott Hans. Yes, yeah, so I just finished reading Rome Sweet Home, specifically because I, there's a kid in my confirmation class who I think would benefit from reading it, but I wanted to read it myself to know for sure. Um, I know a bit about the story. I don't know if have you read Rome, Rome Sweet Home? Yeah, long yeah. time ago, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, briefly, you know, Scott Hahn, famous Catholic apologist, was a... Um, Presbyterian like minister or pastor or whatever they call them, um, and he and his wife had this whole goal, their whole plan. They 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 married when they were in college or grad school or something. They were in grad school together. He was going to become a Presbyterian minister. She was going to be a Presbyterian minister's wife. She was going to raise their kids. He, she was going to edit his 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 sermons and run Bible studies. He was going to buy. It was gonna, that was their whole thing. But you know, ultimately, eventually, you know, he started to have all these. He eventually, he and his wife, I think, both rejected um, sola scriptura pretty early on, and and then eventually sola fide. Um, so they rejected these two great pillars of Protestantism. Mm. And so eventually he started, you know, he was a pretty anti-Catholic guy and eventually he started to, um, have all these questions about covenant theology and, and baptism, all these things. And he, he sort of, I think, accidentally discovered some Catholic authors hmm. and realized like it wasn't actually terrible stuff. It was actually like super scriptural and I think he, he went all the way back to the church fathers. Yes. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. That helps because that was before the Protestant Reformation. So you get yeah. sources. Yeah. But, but I think more recent stuff too. Um, so eventually and this is so eventually he becomes Catholic curious um, and then which comes causes problems in his marriage because you know his wife Kimberly was not um, and then eventually he was received into the church and she's not for I think maybe two years and then through through his prayer and intercession patience really she's eventually received into the church so now this whole family is brought into communion with the church there's someone just ordained a priest I think last year one of oh, the were they really yeah I think Jer- Father Jeremiah Han I've, I've um, okay. hearing about that. I went to school I went to college with one of his sons Gabe oh is that right well, he was a professor at Steubenville yeah. Yeah. have you probably have you met him before oh many times yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it's it's really weird to be sitting at mass and like yeah. offer each other a sign of peace and turn around and there's Dr. Uh-huh, Scott yeah, on yeah. you're like oh my gosh yeah yeah I mean, and there's some incredibly moving moments in the book you yeah know? um really amazing stuff what strikes me about that book is the cost of conversion he lost a lot of friends he lost his job i mean i mean almost he lost a lot of happiness in his marriage for a very long time yeah 
And you, you know, you told us last time about your conversion story and you kind of suffered for it. Um, in yeah, some respect. I mean, to some extent, yeah. So, I mean, my family wasn't religious, isn't religious, right? My mom, my sister, I think we're maybe, we're on the, on the road to some kind of conversion, you know? Um, my sister became able to serve with me eventually. She could use things too. My mom got a little more involved in the parish, but they, I mean, they all, they both eventually fell away from it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have to, I mean, you know this because you have family members who are not religious, but you don't know to some extent because it's not your parents and it wasn't when you were growing up. But like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily easy to be a sort of, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say that I was, I was never a full convert, obviously, and I never quite had a convert zeal, I don't think, but there was something of that going on. And yeah, like my parents didn't get it, you know, and my, mm. my parents, they made an effort when I was younger, especially I made an effort, but yeah, it's not always easy to be, to, to, um, the only person who takes these things seriously and takes obligations the church seriously and loves the church yeah especially when you're a freshman in high school you know yeah it's probably easier now as a 23 year old honestly i think it's harder in what way well for for one thing i think that like parents expect their kids to go through weird phases (laughs) the parents probably to some extent expect assume that was what was happening to me so it was a phase yeah but also like you know I, i i'm grateful for the fact that i went through a conversion at that time but i mean like i didn't have a particularly consistent or fruitful prayer life for example and i didn't i was never you know i was never like i said i wasn't an extremist so i didn't let it affect my behavior very much like i wasn't like i was acting very much like a christian all the time like i wasn't overly patient with people or loving or anything like that you know um i <laughs> uh, would be that would be that would be, no one could roll eyes as good as joe parada yes i have to yeah that's true or the sarcastic the sarcastic one-liner right it's the other, the other, the other special but they're thing. always funny um i hope so but um See, so, yeah, I mean, now it's more, I, I'm more serious about it, and they are m- further from it, right? So, I mean, I have a very difficult time, just to be totally honest, very difficult time talking about my faith with my parents, especially. Mm. Um, I, I'm trying a bit more and more, but honestly, my default is just not to discuss anything I do in relation to the church or the faith because it just makes life a little bit easier. And that's not a yeah. comfortable position to be in. It's not the right position. To, like, it's not right of me to do that, yeah. to cabinet like that. But at the same time, I think Jesus's words are very real. Like, a prophet is never accepted yeah. in his own home. I think, yeah. I think you know, you probably can't preach to your sister because your sister's seen you at your worst. And, right. You know, and, and I yeah. feel that same way with my siblings as well. I mean, I, I remember <laughs> I remember one time I was talking with one of my, with my atheist brother about... Um, we're talking about the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. like, you know, how do we end sexual abuse and everything and just throwing out different ideas. And I said, you know, the one thing that has never been talked about in this whole thing is, you know, just a restoration of chastity. Yeah. And he just like paused and looked at me and was like, chastity? Who believes in that anymore? Yeah. And I was like, okay, we're talking two different languages here. Yeah. You know, I have this beautiful solution, God's solution, and you don't acknowledge that as good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, the crosses are there, and Scott Hahn had the crosses. I guess I was very blessed that as I deepened my own faith, uh, my whole family came along mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So, I mean, my story kind of, uh, and I've shared it uh, on bits and pieces kind of on, on Restless, but there were several different kind of signposts, and it was kind of more of a gradual, like, several years turning towards mm-hmm. the Lord. And, and, and you know, I was, like you, never got in real big trouble as a kid. I was, I've never been a rule follower. <laughs> if you see the way I drive, you understand, but... Um, but I, 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 drive, I drive like you, so I'm not a perfect rule follower. No, that's, that's all right. You have a nicer car. You're allowed to. <laughs> I don't but, have that. But uh, yeah, like I never got in big trouble growing up and I wasn't, you know, not a rebellious kid, but, but certainly my goals were not heaven. It was right. the world, the things of the world. And, right. and I thought I could achieve it. And that was my goal. And it just kind of, you know, I, I talked about, I went on this pilgrimage to Rome when I was 14, which was eye-opening and life-changing just to realize that the faith is so much bigger and deeper and richer than 
my own parish back home and, and to see that um, to see the people have suffered for it, the martyrs and the people that built these magnificent cathedrals with their blood and sweat and tears. Yeah. You know, and you went to Rome, right? Yeah. How did that impact your faith at all? Um, you went with a school trip. Yeah, a I'm public say, school trip. I'm going to say no because not mo. I mean, in some ways, right? But part of the, what I struggled with when I was there was like I remember going to Il Duomo, right, the beautiful cathedral of Florence, right, mm. and you know, velvet ropes all over the place, the tabernacle light extinguished, oh, right, really? and so it's like you're looking around, it's like this is a beautiful building. But, it's but not, I doubt very much that there is a faith community here. Yeah, and I remember That's when I was fair. when I was in when we went to Vatican, it was beautiful. We went to the Sistine Chapel. I have never wanted to leave a room faster than I wanted to leave the Sistine Chapel because it was packed with people. It was so loud. And the guards always yell out "Silencio!" And I was so I'm looking around. I'm like, this is beautiful. I would love to pray here. I don't have that opportunity. This is not really a chapel right now. This yeah. is a pretty room. That's very true. Now, um, there were I mean that th- which is not I mean that's not I mean I remember going to a CC. And seeing, um, um, I think St. Clair is the incorruptible saint who's reposed there. She's there, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, so that's, that's amazing. Um, seeing the, the church that St. Francis built, in his, that's, which is in the cathedral, in, I mean, you know, I mean, it's some, some really amazing stuff, to be, to be sure. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, some people I, I know don't have that mystical experience in, in Rome. Yeah. But that was the way in which God reached into my heart, in part because I think the Lord uh, hardwired me for beauty is the way in which... He ministers to me. So, you know, coming back from that and then, uh, you know, my parish started perpetual adoration. So I started to go to adoration once a week. Um, and that was just, my parents invited me and I said, you know what? At first it was kind of like, I don't know. But then I was like, you know what? If I really say I believe that this right. is Jesus, I'd be foolish not to. But around the same time, you know, and, and the more I kind of think about it, the more I'm actually really grateful for this this place called Catholic Family Land. And I've heard you talk about it before. I'm super yeah. embarrassed by the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, cheesy. it's a super cheesy name, but an amazing place. And uh, it was it was the first time that I was immersed in a Catholic culture. And I think the culture, you know, we were made, we, we were, I was thinking about this today, like God actually hardwired us to imbibe the culture. Mm. You know, a lot of times we talk about the culture as being bad and we have to like get away from the culture, but the whole reason why God made us social creatures is so that we could be formed through the culture. And for centuries and decades and millennia, the culture was very, very good at forming us well. You know, think about the medieval age. You didn't have to have all these CCD classes because you lived it. You breathed it. You knew feast days. You walked into cathedrals and saw the stained glass and the statues. Yeah. And it was, it was your life. Your life was integrated with the, with the life of the church and the calendar of the church. Right. Right. And that's, that's really how it's supposed to be, you know, and, and of course we've all lost that. And, and, but for me, that was really the first time going to Catholic family land of seeing my peers who were on fire with love for Christ. That was so eye-opening to meet other 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds who loved Christ passionately and who had a prayer life. And, and cause I felt very alone trying to do it on my own. Yeah. I tried to go to our youth group growing up, but, um, it was pretty weird Mm-hmm. And I, I actually really liked our youth minister. Um, she's just a phenomenal woman, a uh, great woman of God. But the, some of the games they did, like, I'll never forget this game where um, you had to lick um, oh lifesavers and stick them on people's faces. And the person oh that could have the most lifesavers stuck to their face by someone else's saliva. That's disgusting. That was so gross. And I promised myself when I do youth ministry, we're not doing gross and games. the theological basis of that or the, 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 the lesson there was... Um, it's Got a time knows. waster. It's yeah, like a, right. an ice, supposed to be an icebreaker, but it made me feel so uncomfortable. After you left St. Mary's in Bethlehem, I remember being made to shake wrapped presents and then sort them by what we thought 
which one we thought had the most contents in it and thinking what i'm i'm 17 like i could drive away from here why why am i, why am I being put through this so I, I i can relate yeah and and you know part of that too was um we had i was i was homeschooled and so all the other kids were from there was two high schools that i drew from Linganore and urbana and you know they kept to themselves they didn't talk to me and so yeah. it's kind of like i'm kind of lonely here and i don't mm-hmm. know anybody and that was the same time the adoration was going on so i was like i'm just gonna go to adoration yeah. ditch this youth group and and also too everybody knew who in the youth group was sleeping with each other right so it was such a hypocrisy and everybody knew it and it was not even you know not even yeah. hidden so all of that combined i was like you know what i i, I it's the first time when i actually experienced the real catholic community of people that really loved it and lived it I was like, this is this is like a breath of fresh air. Unfortunately, it was only once a once one week for a month yeah. per year, and I was like, oh, okay, now I got fifty one more <laughs> weeks until I come back to Catholic Family Land. Yeah. But thanks be to God, um, around that same time, I got more and more involved in um, some retreats being run by the Legionaries of Christ. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that that fit into your story like that. That was a huge, huge part. In in part because for the first time, I saw that you could be a real man and follow mm. Christ. Like these were men who played sports, who ran marathons, who would hike. And, you know, just joke around with the guys and pray a rosary just right. as easily as they would joke around, you know. Yeah. And the priests at my home parish um, were not inspiring men. They were overweight and elderly. And, and I served at my home parish for four years, five years, and never once did a priest ever learn my name. I went to that Catholic school for three years. I never saw a single priest in that Catholic school, even though it was right across the street from the yeah. rectory and the church. So it was kind of, you know, it was kind of to me like, you know, why would I want to continue. But then I saw this Catholic community. I'm like, okay, this is what I've been missing my entire life. Wow. So that was a big deepening of, you know, going on the retreats. So what were the ages? Like how old were you when this was all happening in your life? Um, Probably at the end of 15, okay. 16 years old. Gotcha. All right. Well into high school then. Yeah. Well into high school. So I was probably, you know, getting to be a junior and a senior. And, and that was at the time when you can be really self-reflective mm-hmm. and say, what's the point of life? And so that the following year, I went to community college for a year while I hmm. finished up my senior year because being homeschooled is rocks and you could do stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, and that was really the first time that I, I met people with, like from a totally different worldview. Yeah. People who were, you know, smoking weed on the weekends <sighs> and drinking and sleeping yeah, yeah. around and and you know, and just in conversations with them and I, and I really kind of enjoyed chatting with them and everything, but I could hear that they weren't happy. Right. They're always striving for something, something, you know, and, and, and con- contrasted with the friends from the retreat, I was like, there's a huge difference here. And I thought, you know, if I really want joy, what's it got to be about? It's got to right. be about Christ. And for me, for me, that was the, that was the defining factor is, you know, what leads to a life that's, that's deeply happy and deeply joyful. So, you know, thanks be to God since then, you know, really since the time I was 16, I haven't really given up on faith, you know, yeah. there's times when it's been harder than others, certainly. Right. Yeah. Wow. But praise God. Yeah, yeah. Praise God indeed. And I, and I don't know about you, but I'm super inspired by some of the, the saints stories of these big conversions. Are you familiar with any? Um, I know about St. Augustine's in like the abstract. Um, I'm not quite as familiar with the saint stories as I know you are though. So to be honest, so you're just going to throw it back in my <laughs> Yeah. Back to me. Yeah, yeah. So that was attempt, that was an attempt to bring me back in. That was an attempt <laughs> to bring kidding. me back in. Yeah, because I was talking too much. I don't no, know. no, not at all. But you you actually have an amazing relationship with the saints that I just don't. So I'd be interested. So is there maybe one saint in particular that you think is noteworthy? Well, the one that the one that uh, not too many people know about is Saint Camillus Delellis. Okay, um, amazing story. He was he was born of a mother who was about forty years old, and she was getting on in years. Mm-hmm. And, and she was he was the only child of her, and so it was kind of a miracle baby. But she prayed to know what his, what his future was. And while, she, while this baby was in utero, she had a dream in which her, her, she saw her son grown up 
uh, wearing a long black robe with a big red cross on the front, leading a group of other men wearing a long black robe, wearing a red Mm -hmm. cross. And when she woke up, she was terrified because those were the people that were condemned criminals on their way to their execution. Mm -hmm. So they were, she was like, what is this child going to become? Right. So his, his dad was actually a mercenary. So he fought for pay and he would, you know, join whatever army needed some, some fighters. And so when he was 14 years old, he actually ended up getting kicked out of school. So he went to go join his dad who was never around anyway, you know, and his dad taught him all the vices of, of army life, how to gamble, how to drink, how to womanize, how to curse. And that's who he became. He had such a gambling addiction that he would often gamble his clothes away and be shirtless and have to go and find some, some menial job just to, to buy enough money to, to get a shirt. And this would happen over and over again until finally at a certain point there was no more wars to fight. So they needed to find some sort of way to make a living. So they hired themselves out as construction workers, building an addition onto a monastery. And that was their first interaction with monks. And Camillus, being something someone in the 20s, was rather um, you know, shocked to see these, these men living such a different life, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life he would never consider. But there was something in them that, that attracted him. And so... You know, he was really drawn at that point. But then, you know, the, the job ended. So he went back to his ordinary life, continued gambling, continued drinking. And finally, once again, he gambled the shirt off his back. And he was penniless. And he thought to himself, this is a miserable way to live. Yeah. You know, we talked about that felt need in mm-hmm. our last episode about how we have to have to have that hunger. And that was his hunger moment. You know, and so he, he went back to try to apply to that monastery because he wanted the joy that was there. But they took one look at him, and they saw that he had a leg wound from a uh, from the ba- a battle that had never healed. And so they said, you know what, you got to go get that healed before you um, come into our monastery. So he went, actually traveled down from northern Italy down to Rome to enter a hospital. But this was back in the late 1500s when hospitals were filthy. Yeah. I mean, imagine, you know, a room the size of your bedroom with 15 patients right. in it and open wounds and pus and smell and stench and rotting flesh and yeah. excrement everywhere. And and he was so disgusted that he only stayed two weeks there and he left. And he's like, I, I'm not getting any better. And this is filthy and this is nasty. Mm-hmm. So he was in Rome praying in the church. He's like, Lord, show me what you want me to do. I have no idea because I can't go back to the monastery. They won't accept me. The wound's still open. So finally he discerned that God was calling him to start an order of priests and brothers who would work with the sick. And so he did. Um, and he started this, this order and they took us their habit, a long black robe with a big red cross, yeah. which is interestingly where the American Red Cross gets its red cross from. It's not, he did not found the American Red Cross because he right. wasn't American, but, right. but that's where they take it from. Oh, cool. And he had such a love for, this, for the sick, right. which was really beautiful. That's but great. To me, that's inspiring. You know, yeah, somebody absolutely. who's going to drink, womanize. Yeah. And yeah. Do you think that, um, you know, I was, I was asking this question um, to some other people this past weekend. Are you more inspired by saint stories of people who kind of like lived virtuously their entire life or people who had that darkness and then had a major conversion? Um, I would say that I am most inspired, this is not an answer to your question, I am most inspired by saint stories of people who sort of like had a, had a heroic moment. So mm. like I think of like St. Maximilian Kolbe, now he was, he was, I mean, he lived an incredibly heroic life and incredibly heroic life of virtue, but he has that heroic moment, right? That, that, that he was, he was the man for the moment. He offered up his life for this person, right? Um, you look confused. Am I saying the right saying? No, no, you're right. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. I was making sure. No, There's uh, just a blank look on my face. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like, I don't, I'm not, I don't really have the relationship with the saints that I should. So I'm trying to think of, like, I, I'm inspired by heroic, by just, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by bravery for Christ. Mm. So, like, I, so whether that's um, um, to Maxim Kolbe or, like, St. Jose Sanchez del Rio, 
Right. Love that guy. Yeah. Um, 14 year old who got his feet, yeah. put the bottoms of his feet ripped off in, in his martyrdom. Yeah. Um, and so to me, because what that tells me is that it's never, it's never really too late to do the right thing at the right moment. Mm. And, and not because I'm the person who lives the life of excess or abandoned. I'm, I'm not. I never was, right? But like, I have a lot of friends who, who are like that. And I think my hope for them is that they will meet the moment someday. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, I, somebody recently gave me um, Father... Uh, was it Father Michael Gately who did the 33 Days Consecration of St. Joseph? Um, no, um, Father Michael Connolly. Or, or, or uh, no, Father Don... Don, 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 he's just... He's, Calloway. Calloway. That's he, it, Don he, Calloway. He's St. Gregory the Grape. That's past tense for this, when this episode airs, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, St. Don, Don, or St. Don, Cal- Father Don Father Calloway. Don Calloway, who, by the way, has an incredible conversion story. If you ever yes. read it, it's called No Turning Back. I highly recommend it. Um, or if you don't know how to read, just listen to his interview with um, with uh, Umpites and Aquinas. Okay. Yeah, I'm illiterate. So you don't know, if you don't know how to read, I recommend yeah, that's right. learning. It's important. <laughs> But uh, in that book, and I'm reading that book, and it's actually making me more and more discouraged. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it talks about St. Joseph being this perfect guy, you know, and he never struggled. And there's like this theological tradition that he he was sanctified in his mother's womb, which means he was born without original sin, even though he was conceived with original sin. And so, you know, he never, you know, he's just always, he made this vow of chastity when he was 12. And, and like, how do you make a vow of chastity when you don't know what chastity is? I don't know. But do, yeah, I mean, a lot of the saints did. But, you know, and it put these saints like almost out of reach. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm a schmuck. Right. I need, I need a saint who's a sinner, who's converted. Right. I like a Mary Magdalene more. Because like, I was reading about uh, St. Catherine of Siena, who, according to her biographer, probably a little exaggeration, but apparently when she was a baby, she fasted from breast milk on Wednesdays and Fridays in honor of the Passion of Our Lord. Like, how does a baby do that? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that seems, I don't know. And, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I, I struggle with that because yeah. I'm not that right person, you know, yeah. like I struggle with stuff. And I remember um, we, we did an episode a while ago, one of my first episodes about, I think, like martyrdom or suffering or something like that. And um, you asked, like, would you be willing to die for Christ? And I said, yeah, I'd be willing to die quickly for Christ. But whether I would be willing to be tortured for Christ, I'm not going to be so presumptuous to say yes. And I look at these saints or like I was reading today, um, Colonel Zen was just abducted by the Chinese uh, thugs and then released on bail. I don't know if you know the story or not. Yeah. And so I was reading this article by the pillar. This is all very past tense at this point. I was reading an article by the pillar by the pillar about other cardinals who've been imprisoned. And so many of them, it's just amazing. These old men who were just tortured for the faith and forced to confess to terrible crimes imprisoned. And I was thinking, like, wow, these are I mean old men who were being the very last years of their life were being spent in prison and they gained nothing on earth by putting up with it. And so to gain everything by relenting. Yeah. And they didn't. And I just think, like, would I have that courage? And I frankly don't know if I would or not. I think that's why I find this story so inspiring. Because, like, I would like to believe that I would be the person saying, I'm a Catholic priest, take me instead of him, like St. Uh, Maximilian Kolbe. Or I would be St. Hedges and St. Hedges del Rio and say, I will walk to my grave with my feet skinned and be shot by by the Mexican army. But I just don't have the confidence that, 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 I, that I don't have that confidence in myself, frankly. Mm. Um, so maybe that's why I find those saints so attractive. But So here's a question for you, because something yeah. I, I wrestle with in my own life. <clears throat> Is it possible to become a great saint without suffering that much? I think that it, suffering is relative. Hmm. Like, it's unlikely that you and put it this way, if you look at, like, the early martyrs of the church and you were to say to them, you know, I'm really suffering because my parents aren't Catholic and it's really awkward for me to talk about my faith. They'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I was, like, I was set on fire. <laughs> like, literally, not by the whole, like, literally by people. Yeah. With, with torches, right? And, like, I was, you know, skinned or whatever. Um, but like that doesn't mean that in the moment and to us our sufferings are less than theirs actually, mm. right? So like, I tend to just, I have this joke with myself, 
that the way I know God will never call me to anything like that is that he knows I couldn't handle it. <laughs> um, and it was probably that's not true, but like, um, so suffering that much, I mean, suffering that much for, 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 for whom, I mean, for you and me, what we suffer is, is a lot. Right. I mean, it might be, or maybe it isn't, but, but I, but I think in some, I mean, mm. I mean, I don't want to like, but you know, you have part of your vocation story involves some really psychological, deep psychological suffering. Well, yeah, that, that and, is true. That is true. And so like, would you be, you wouldn't be the person you are had that not happened. I wouldn't be the person I am had that not happened to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. God sanctified. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think a, everyone's path to holiness is different. Right. And ultimately doubt, God you know. gives the suffering for us to sanctify us. So like if, if there was an amount we needed to be saints and we didn't give it to us, well then that would be a problem. Right. So like there must be something about what, what each person goes through in their life. Yeah. I think it's about how you face the suffering too. Right. I mean, it's, it's, do I embrace it and take it head on or do I shrink from it? And do I trust in God's plan or do I despair at God's plan? And I think God gives you the grace in the moment right. to deal with the suffering you've got. So right now God is not giving you the grace to be tortured for Christ because you're right. not in that moment. But, right. But he would if you, you were in that moment. Yeah. Right. That gives me some hope. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, there's definitely different degrees of holiness in heaven. Yeah. You know, some saints are much holier than others. And I... Sure. And... You know. There's a tradition among the Dominicans, I think. I could be wrong about it. Or no, among the Franciscans. The Fran- that St. Francis took the, the throne that, that um, Satan vacated when he fell or something like that. Am I getting that right? I've never heard that before. There's a tradition before. of some saints. I, I, I thought the Dominicans or the Franciscans. Someone will fact check me on this. Well, Franciscans, I'm sure, would be happy to say that. There's a small that, tradition that the saint took the throne of... Oh, it was, what, was, what was Lucifer? Was he a... Um, was was he a cherubim? Wasn't he a cherubim or a seraphim? No, he's an archangel. Whichever, whatever it was... Um, so yeah, right. Like I'm not gonna be taking an angel's throne, right? If I go to heaven, I'm not. I'm not taking any. I'm not gonna have an important seat, right? Like I won't be at the head table. Is what you're saying, right? Right, like, right, yeah. right, 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 right. And so is it? You know, and this, this is funny. We talked. I don't know if it was this episode or last episode. We we're talking about the, the edifying conversation I had with this 15 year old about holiness. Yeah. And one of the questions he asked me is, "Do you think it's prideful to strive for like the heights of holiness, mm. or to, to really to have that as an ambition or a desire to be a great saint, not just like a yeah. hidden?" I think, I think it can be right. I've mentioned this before, but I I really love um, Saint pa- Saint Pope Saint Pius X, and this is prayer. He didn't write the prayer, but it was written by I think by like, his private secretary or whatever, called the Litany of Humility. I don't know if you've ever prayed it or not. Oh yeah, Cardinal Mary Daval yeah, yeah, yeah. wrote it. Yeah, and um, the last line of it is um, that others may become holier than I, provided I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, give me the grace to desire it. Like what a weird thing to pray. Like others would become holier than me, but it's like <laughs> yeah, as long as I become as holy as I should. Yeah, there are like. Um, yeah, there are kids, there's a kid in my CCD class who, like, if he sticks with the faith and has good mentors in his life, will become a much greater saint than I could ever be. Because hmm. he's, he's further along than I was at his age, arguably, than I am now, right? So, like, and he's, and he's suffered a lot more than I have probably as a result of his faith. And so, like, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't envy him for that. Yeah. As long as I get to go to heaven and see God there, I don't really care where I'm standing in the crowd, I don't think. Like, it's not up to me, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. That's and also, true. sorry, one more thing, I'm sorry to, to, to monopolize this, but, like, we can't, it can't. We can't all be Saint Teresa of Calcutta. We can't all be cru- be, be stoned for Christ, right? Because like, there, like you said before, there's something unrelatable about that. The stories are inspiring, but there's something about the person. Like I mentioned this before. I don't know if I mentioned on, on the podcast or not. That I remember that I was I was, I was learning about. Um, um, Who's the saint that, um, now I'm drawing a blank, who translated, who first wrote the Vulgate? Translated. Oh, St. Jerome. Who's St. Jerome. I remember reading, uh, listening to the podcast about him, and, and they're saying that if he didn't really care much about a book of the Bible, he would translate in like an hour. <laughs> and I was thinking like, that's real. I can relate to doing my homework last minute. Like, that, like that's a real, that's a real, pr- and he had like a ter- I, I, I relate to, I relate to um, St. Christopher punching areas. Like I relate to that. Like, you know what I mean? Nicholas. Like, Nicholas. Excuse me, St. Nicholas punching areas. Like, I, I relate to that. 
there's something about relatable saints and there's something about you know the ideal like the the ideal the highest saint right there's something about the blessed virgin that's that's inspiring and beautiful but we can't all be the blessed virgin because we're not all the blessed virgin right <laughs> there's only one <laughs> right literally right so like we can't all be saint dominic yeah right yeah yeah god gives different charisms and, and that you know when i went on my retreat this past year that was the theme that the lord kind of put on my heart is that you know you have your own unique path to holiness because yeah it's true i mean if if i was a different kind of saint perhaps I never would have taught confirmation class and right. brought you into the faith. And right. So God can use even the weaknesses and yeah. our flaws. Absolutely. We have to hope that. We have to hope that. And I think. Yeah. I think, I think so. So thanks for joining us in this episode of Restless. We talked a lot about conversion stories and saint stories. So go and seek holiness in your own unique way yourself, because all of us are called to be saints. Maybe not the greatest saints, maybe not canonizable, but all of us are called to use our gifts and talents and glorify God to yield our life more and more to him so that he can rule and, and live in through in and through us. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, also 103.5 FM, and also wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.